Brian McClanahan Show, episode 387. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You got the best Black Friday deals early. And if you've got those emails still in your email box, whether it's from my regular email list or my McClanahan Academy email list, if you're still looking to score a deal at McClanahan Academy, I've slipped up and allowed those deals to extend a little longer. So if you're interested in picking up one of my McClanahan Academy courses for at least 30% off, and that's what I'm offering. Some of them are 40, some of them are 50% off. You want to head on over, check those emails that I sent out, and I'll send out another one. If you haven't gotten on the list yet, and you're just listening to this now, and it's before Christmas, go on out and check your email. Make sure you're looking in your spam folder. Make sure you whitelist my email address. I think a lot of people miss these emails because they go to spam or they go to, to uh, you know, you haven't whitelisted my email address. Make sure you do that so that you can get the emails and, of course, get the deals. I mean, this is what I want for you. Also, if you're thinking about stock and stuffers, click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Pick up one of my books, my newest book, Southern Scribblings. It's a great book, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. It makes a great stocking stuffer. Or on one of my other books, uh, I've got a number of books. So you can, one of my politically incorrect guidebooks, my founding father's guide to the Constitution, Forgotten Conservatives, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. I've got all kinds of great stuff out there. So pick up one of those books. Great ways to, su- to uh, surprise that Brian McClanahan fan in your life. Also, you can support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get your book plate if you want my autograph of one of my books. You can throw a few pennies my way. Whatever you want to do to help the show, I appreciate it. Also, share it around on social media. Rate it wherever you get podcasts. Do what you can to spread the message of Think Locally, Act Locally. Now, this is a listener-generated episode today, and I've gotten several emails about this, so I want to, I want to talk about it. And it's this issue of Texas suing other states over the 2020 election. So we've got this very contentious 2020 election. Trump has still refused to concede the election. We know there have been voting irregularities. Looks like there's been some fraud in some areas. I mean, there's just a lot of circumstantial evidence. But again, finding the smoking gun is very difficult in this. And I think if history has anything to prove here, that was going to be the case. Look, in 1960, and I've already talked about this on a podcast, in 1960, Richard Nixon firmly believed the election was stolen from him by landslide Lyndon Johnson and dead people voting in Chicago. And he was probably right. The problem is he sent in a team of lawyers to those states to go and see what they could find. And you know what? The fraud was so good, they couldn't really find anything to prove that the fraud took place. Now, we know what happened. I mean, everyone knows it, right? Dead pe- They found a few, dead pe- few, few things of irregularity. Some people didn't cover it up quite enough. We know there's video out there 
Of course, in Atlanta, of a lady running ballots through a machine two, three, four times, whatever it is. But were those ballots in? I mean, we don't we don't have a zoomed in on that machine. Were those ballots being read properly? Were they not being read properly? Now the suitcases were those suitcases actual ballot boxes that were being. I mean, so what do we have here? I mean, these these are all the things that are being asked. And of course, the one side saying, well, this is perfectly explainable because you've got this. The other side saying, no, this is fraud. She ran those ballots through. Well, but maybe she was trying to get them to run properly. I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows because, again, there's nothing there. There's no, nobody standing right over her shoulder looking at this. We're not allowed, you know, were people allowed to verify ballots or not? Look, uh, the, 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 the uh, down ballot voting shows fraud. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Again, I've I mentioned a lot of people will vote for president. Maybe they were paid 20 bucks to vote for Joe Biden, and that was it. Who this stuff happens, right? And there's no, there's no proof of it, though. I believe you were paid to vote for Joe Biden. Prove it. Prove I was paid to vote for Joe Biden. You can't prove it. You can't prove anything. None of this is going to sway a court when you make accusations without a smoking gun. And that's the real problem in voter fraud situations. You can't really find it. So Texas has now decided, and this this is where this even gets crazier, Texas has decided to sue all of these swing states in federal court. They want to go to the Supreme Court because, of course, this is right. The state suing a state goes right to the Supreme Court. And so the Supreme Court would have original jurisdiction here if the Supreme Court even decides to take up the case. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So we've got this great big mess in America of election problems. And this gets back to the heart of an issue at the, at the core of American government. Do Americans really want federalism or do they not want federalism? The whole theme of this show is think locally, act locally, right? I mean, my show is based on the idea of federalism. Federalism can be messy. You may not get results you want in federalism. And what I mean by that is one state or two states or 10 states or 20 states might do things you don't like. At the end of the day, though, though, if you live in a state that does things you do like, does that really matter? So if we, real, if we had real federalism, this is where we get to this really nasty situation we have in America where we have a hybrid sort of federalism and nationalism put together. We haven't really decided which one we want. Still, over 200 years after the Constitution was ratified, ratified on the promise that we're going to have federalism in America, that we wouldn't have a national government, that the president's powers would be so weak that nobody would even notice the president except in foreign policy, that the Congress would only have to have uh, you know two- and six-year terms because they didn't have to worry about the minutiae of all of these local issues because the states could take care of all those things. These are the promises that were made in 1787 and 1788 when the Constitution was ratified. So those are the promises. Basically, we had a Constitution, and if you look at the Bill of Rights, which came in 1791, but the preamble of the Bill of Rights explicitly states the reason we're doing this is because we don't want to have misconstruction. We ratified a federal Constitution. We ratified a Constitution for a federal Republic, not a national government, not a centralized one-size-fits-all government. This is what we ratified. So you get the Bill of Rights, the Tenth Amendment being the most important part of that. And that's what everyone thought we were getting. Of course, in 1789, all that's corrupted with the first Congress and the Judiciary Act. And then moving forward, 
we've got it corrupted over and over and over again. So what we have now is a messy uh, Frankenstein of a government. We don't know if it's national. We don't know if it's federal. The states themselves, the people in the United States, the people in the states don't really know what they want. That's the real problem in all of this. And I think that's where we need one solution to this. If we're going to be a national government, just go for it, right? Abolish the states. If we're going to be a national government, then I would rather see a situation where the states are completely abolished. The states decide they're going to give up all powers. We're going to hand them all over to Washington, D.C. And we're going to have a one-size-fits-all national government. And everybody's just going going to abolish all these legislators. We're going to do all of this stuff. We're just going to abolish it all. Why? Well, because if we did that, if we did that, then uh, at least we would have all the problems solved of this, well, we're going to do this, we're going to, the states are going to do this, states are going to do that. We, we could just say, no, we're, we're, we're going to have a president, just like a governor. The president can make all the dictatorial decisions that they want to make because governors can do that. The Congress is going to legislate for everybody. The Supreme Court is going to be the only court, the federal courts are the only courts we have in America. Just get rid of all these other layers of courts and layers of government. We could abolish all state taxes, all local taxes. If we're just going to have a national government, let's just go for it. And I, uh, Dan Fisher in Oklahoma, years ago, as a representative of the state, actually presented a bill to do this as a joke because he said, look, I mean, this is what we're doing anyways. Why don't we just go for it? No, 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 you can't do that. But it, but this is what Americans really want at times. I mean, they do. And this case of Texas suing the other states is a clear example that the right wants nationalism when, the, when it works for them. And they want federalism when it works for them. And the left will do the exact same thing because it's election fiasco. They don't want nationalism right now. No, no, no. They want federalism because the state of Pennsylvania could do what it wanted, and Wisconsin could do what it wanted, and Arizona could do what it wanted, and Georgia could do what it wanted. Unless, of course, Stacey Abrams is losing the election. And then, of course, then they want the general government to come in and say that the state of Georgia is wrong and we're going to nationalize this, the election of Georgia. This is the issue. Right? So you, you, you can't have it both ways. You either got to have it one way or the other way. And if you have federalism, you're not always going to like what goes on in other states. And you just got to live with it. The real problem, though, is if we had a constitution that people actually followed as ratified, whoever's president wouldn't matter. This is why I wrote nine presidents who screwed up America. The point is all these quote-unquote great presidents or semi-great presidents or which should all be awful and semi-awful because all of those people that are considered great abused power. The Congress has consistently punted its authority to the executive branch. The Supreme Court has usurped authority from elected representatives of the states and the general government. And so what we have is a nasty national mess. The 14th Amendment notwithstanding, the 14th Amendment is not supposed to, it's not supposed to uh, incorporate the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights were not supposed to be used against the states. The states already had Bill of Rights. They already had Declaration of Rights. They didn't need another one. This is exactly what Proponents of the Constitution said, if we have a Bill of Rights, it's going to assume that the general government has powers it doesn't have. In some ways, the Bill of Rights is a disaster. Because simply by putting it there, 
you said, well, I mean, the general government can't do this. That, that means that you could imply that they could have done it. It essentially created the whole idea of implied powers. The Bill of Rights was a disaster because the states already had these things. Virginia already had very restrictive laws, when, or I should say uh, rules, when it came to free speech, for example. What the government could and could not do there. They couldn't infringe on free speech or free press. They couldn't do it. Religion, they couldn't do it. It was already there in Virginia. You didn't need another layer saying that the general government can't do this. Well, it was sold that the general government, of course, couldn't do that because there's no power granted to infringe on speech or the press. They don't have the power to do that. The states can do it, but not the general government. So we've got a complete disaster now of a government, of, of American politics. It's a disaster. The war in 1865 did nothing. It did nothing because you can't solve a legal issue by a bayonet. It just can't happen. And people know it, which is why all this stuff keeps coming up. And I, and I know concern, well, Alan Gelza, well, the war solved the issue. No, it didn't. It didn't solve anything. It didn't solve anything. And I, there was a marvelous debate between Don Livingston and Alan Gelzo out there. It took place at University of Virginia. And Gelzo makes this case, and Livingston stands, up, Livingston stands up and says, hey, look, if what you said is true, then yes. If we had a national government, then everything you said is true. But we didn't have that at the beginning. We didn't have that. That's the real problem. We didn't have a national government in 1788 or 1789 when the first Congress met. We didn't have it. We had a federal republic, and that's how it was sold. What Texas is essentially trying to do in this lawsuit, by the way, is, is nationalize this election. This is exactly what they're trying to do. Now, let's get into that. We know states can sue other states. The, the general government, one of the reasons why we have the federal court system, or at least one of the reasons why we have the Supreme Court. You see, this is the funny thing about Article 3. The only court that's mentioned in Article 3 by name is the United States Supreme Court. It doesn't say how many members of that court there have to be. It just says we have a United States Supreme Court. And the Confederate States of America, they didn't actually establish that court. They, they just didn't fill any seat. They, they didn't create it. It said it was going to be created, but they never filled any of the, any of the seats. They didn't decide how big it was going to be, uh, how many members it was going to have. They didn't do any of that. They just left it vacant. And so the states handled all these things. The only court that's in the United States Constitution is the Supreme Court. All the other federal courts were created by Congress, and of course it does say Congress can create other courts as they need to. So the Congress could abolish every single federal court in America except for the Supreme Court. That would be a real bold move by Congress. That they really wanted to adopt a federalist stance. They really wanted to be real federalists. This is what they would do. They would abolish every single federal court in America and put all those judges out of a job. Bam, they're gone. Everything else would be handled in the states. And then you have the 11th Amendment, which, if interpreted broadly or interpreted the way it was originally intended to be interpreted, would mean that the Supreme Court would hear very little. Very little. That the states could refuse, essentially, to be sued if there's a violation of federal law. Now, you could sue in a 
federal court, or you could sue in the Supreme Court if the, if the federal government is abusing its powers. This could very easily happen. You sue in the Supreme Court. Uh, in fact, you could sue in the state court, and then it could go to the Supreme Court. I mean, you could do it that way. But the fact is, we've got this monstrosity of a government that just doesn't know the limits of its own power. And Texas doing this is muddling the issue. And it's muddling the issue because Texas really has no standing to sue here. You see, the Constitution is very clear about what states can do when it comes to elections. We saw a beginning of nationalizing federal elections in 1870 when you had the 15th Amendment. And then, of course, that continued with the 19th Amendment, women's suffrage. It continued into the later part of the 20th century with a prohibition on poll taxes and then, of course, allowing 18-year-olds to vote. So we've had federal intervention in, in elections. But why did it require an amendment to do any of those things? Why did it require amendment to uh, uh, say you cannot prohibit voting on the basis of race or sex or being able to pay a tax or age if you're if you're 18? Why did it require that? Well, because the federal government had no control over these things. You see, just by simply having an amendment, there is an admission the federal government cannot control elections in states. The states have complete control over these things. Now, does that make the Voting Rights Act of 1965 unconstitutional? The argument, of course, is that the 15th Amendment allows for the Congress to implement laws that would enforce that particular Amendment, And so in this case, if there is actual discrimination on the basis of race, well, then you could say the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is constitutional. However, you get into this issue of, is it saying you can't vote because of your race or because of something else? I mean, so and so what they did with that is working out well. I mean, if the if the effect of the of the legislation is to prohibit certain races from voting, well, then, of course, it's a violation of the 15th Amendment. Or if it's to prohibit certain people based on sex, you know, men or women from voting. Well, that's a violation of the 19th Amendment. So you could look at it. These There's, there's ways they, they work these things out. But the fact is, just by having amendments, you're admitting the states have complete control over elections. Complete control over elections. So the state of Wisconsin can do whatever it wants when it comes to certifying its election results in that particular state, or Pennsylvania, or Georgia, or Arizona, or Michigan. It can do whatever it wants. Texas has no control over this, and the attorney general Suing these other states is ridiculous. It actually is ridiculous. It's, it's a stupid move by the Attorney General of Texas. They have no standing to sue, essentially, here. I mean, Texas has no control over Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania or, or Georgia. I mean, it just doesn't. Unless we had federal, unless we had national elections, excuse me. And then if we had national elections, well, then you could say, well, the people of Texas are being harmed by the people of Wisconsin. But at that particular point, why even have the Electoral College? Why just get rid of that and just popular vote? This is what the Democrats want, by the way. This is the National Popular Vote Initiative. They don't want the states in the process. See, so Texas is actually undermining its position as a sovereign state by even doing this. It's stupidity to the highest degree. Texas may not like the outcome of the election. Alabamians may not like the outcome of the election. 
People and some people in Wisconsin and Michigan may not like the outcome of the election or Pennsylvania. They may not like it. But at the end of the day, the states have control over this. And if they want to change how this is done, they better get their butts in gear and change the laws in those states to prohibit this kind of activity in the future. Having mail-in balloting is idiotic in the extreme. Every major Western power recognizes this. You are just opening the door to voter fraud. That's why Trump was calling it out way before it even happened. This is okay. Look, we're going to have voter fraud here. You're going to create all kinds of problems. What I think happened, though, for in a lot of these states, is that the Democrats, in some ways, outworked, outcorrupted the Republicans. They were getting people to vote uh, that had never voted before by simply walking up to them and saying, "Hey, you know what? Donald Trump stinks. Here, vote for Joe Biden. I'll vote for Biden. Here you go." Now we know, I mean, look, the the truck driver that brought ballots from uh, New York into Pennsylvania, why was that going on? I mean, there's a lot of just questions you scratch your head and say, why is this happening? I don't know. And you think to yourself, well, this is probably some evidence of some shady, real shady things happening here. And did Joe Biden actually win these swing states? I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to show that perhaps he didn't. But you can't prove any of it, and now you can put maybe a, a doubt in someone's mind that this didn't happen, but this will rely on the Republican legislators in these states to certify a different set of electors, and they would have to go against state law to do it. I mean, it would be a bold move by a party that's never been, uh, particularly in the last hundred, well, 150 years, never made a bold move ever. I mean, these people are ridiculously spineless. The Republican Party has always been the stupid party. They made a bold move in 1861 by going to war against the South. But beyond that, in Reconstruction, trying to enforce a national government, force a national government on the rest of the United States, which was resisted by people North and South and eventually done away with. Other than that, I mean, Republican Party has never really made a bold move at all. It's a worthless party. Now, the question is, what about the 11th Amendment? People, what about the 11th Amendment? State sovereign immunity. Well, I mean, would this work with Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania or Georgia? Would it work in these particular cases? I mean, they could refuse to be sued. Then again, Texas has nothing. This is a publicity stunt by the state of Texas. I'll tell you what Texas should do. If they're really that concerned about it, call a convention and look to withdraw from the union. If that's the case, I mean, this is what Nathaniel Macon said when nullification actually came out uh, in the 1830s. Nathaniel Macon, who was, of course, a member of the founding generation, he was one of the most important members of that generation uh, in the early Congresses. And Nathaniel Macon said, you know what, the nullification, it's worthless. If you really don't believe that the federal government has the power to do this, just leave the union. Just leave. So if Texas is really offended by the actions of these other states, Texas should just call a convention of the people and say, you know what, we're out. We're out. But you see, here we get into this very strange Frankenstein hybrid national federal government that we have because now people are, oh, that's illegal. You can't do that. Texas v. White. Texas v. White, 1869. You can't unilaterally secede. Well, the Supreme Court did say that. However, one of the things that it left open was that if the other states wanted to boot out a state, they could do it. Because, you see, they had to leave that open because this is exactly what the Republicans did to the southern states during Reconstruction. 
They couldn't unilaterally secede, but this Congress could say, you're no longer in the Union. You're now a territory of the United States. So that could actually happen. I mean, the Congress can abolish the state or boot a state out. It's pretty funny. But Texas should just say, look, we're, we're out. We're not going to be part of this government anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. And if the states really had any, again, if Republicans in the states had any muscle, this is exactly what they would do. Just leave the union. If the United states did it, I don't know if you would see a federal response at this particular point. I don't know if you would. I mean, particularly from the Trump administration, and maybe Biden would come. I mean, this would be interesting. Biden would march the troops into the to Texas to try to keep Texas in the union or to uh, you know take your pick of another state that's not happy with the election. Would they send it? If, if, an, if all these states got together and said, you know what, we're out, we're just going to do it, well, what are you going to do at that point? Again, I mean, how, how does the federal government respond here is the major question. But suing is ridiculous. You might as well just not even do anything. That's a waste. You, you can't do anything with that. So when I look at this, I look at it as just a joke on this on the part of Texas. So at the end of the day, the question we have to ask, Americans have to ask themselves, is what do we really want? Do we want federalism or do we want nationalism? Again, the Democrats are certainly willing to have nationalism with elections if they can control it. The Republicans, the same thing. So what we need to do is divorce ourselves from this nationalist perspective. We need to start reorienting our focus to the local. Because, of the again... If we, could, if we had a presidency that was so limited as it's described in the Constitution, it wouldn't even matter who's president of the United States. It wouldn't matter in one way except for foreign policy. And, of course, there you have the Congress as a check on the president. So the president's powers were so limited. This is what Alexander Hamilton himself said in Federalist 69. Federal powers or presidential powers are so limited, you wouldn't have to worry about any of them. There is a congressional check on the president, on every step the president can make. president can't do anything without Congress checking that power. Now, if you've got a Congress controlled by uh, ideologues, like we would with the House of Representatives currently, well, then that can be a problem. This is where you get the states in to check the powers of the general government. The states should be able to check these powers. And if you had a real, real federalism in America, this could happen every single day of the week. You would not have a federal government that could overstep its powers, that could overstep its bounds. This is, this is why think locally, act locally from the bottom up has to start with education. It has to start with education because people have to know this. The problem is they get infatuated with power and then they end up supporting things like in Texas that are completely stupid. And I've seen it. People, oh, man, yeah, Texas, go Texas, sue these states for... On what standing? How are you going to? I mean, how are you going to do this? Would you want, if you were in Texas, would you want another state suing you? This is a question you have to ask yourself. Let's say the roles are reversed here, and Texas is being sued by these other states because of their practices, which got Donald Trump uh, the electoral college votes in the state of Texas. Would you want Michigan suing Texas? Where where would your stance on that be? Well, you can't sue us. You can't sue us. I mean, this we did this all legally. Would you want? Michigan suing or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania suing Texas? Of course not. So why would you think you'd want to do it the other way? We have to be committed to federalism, even if federalism produces results that we don't necessarily like. It has to be a commitment. 
Because the people of those states and those local communities, that's the political culture of those regions. I mean, look, New York should stay in New York. If we have nationalism, and we do, I mean, the whole idea, well, everything is my country. I'm just going to move from New York to, uh, to South Carolina. No, don't do it. Stay out. Stay in New York. Keep New York messed up with your political culture and don't mess up the political culture of South Carolina or California going into Texas or, uh, you know, uh, take your pick. Massachusetts going into Colorado. Colorado used to be a beautifully conservative state, but all these people moved into Colorado because of John Denver, I guess, you know. John Denver telling people how great it was. And everybody moved to Colorado, and then it just got messed up. There's parts of Colorado that are still fairly conservative, and then you got all the Birkenstock and sock wearers out there and uh, in, the, in the more leftist parts of Colorado. And, I mean, good gosh, it's just it's awful. So this is why maybe we need to talk about decentralizing states as well. Let's bring those down to a lower level. All right. So that's my position on this whole Texas lawsuit thing. I think it's a joke. It's just going to be laughed at. It makes conservatives look stupid and, frankly, hypocritical. And it should never happen. It should never happen. All right. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.